0: Welcome to EE Times On Air. I'm David Finch. We stand on the brink of a retail revolution, not just in the way that we as consumers buy things, but in the way that we're guided towards the things that we buy. A revolution in the way that those things are supplied to retailers. And if you happen to be a retailer, a revolution that will improve your customer touch, your ability to convert, and your operational efficiencies. You know, it took merchants to establish trade and it's gonna take engineers to modernize it. In this episode, we speak with John O'Brien, retail lead for IBM Industry Solutions about the changes we can expect to see in retail.
1: One of the things that's getting a lot of attention when we talk about smart retail today is the use of big data and advanced analytics.
0: I get stranded on the highway on my way to an interview David, did we lose him?
2: He fell off a mountain.
0: Hang on, let, let me get the bike off the back. Or, yeah, just let me get the bike
2: off. Oh, no. Cool. I can't believe he's talking to a tow truck operator well, while he's doing this interview. <laughs> <laughs> we could have rescheduled.
0: <laughs> and we speak with my two favorite retail professionals, Sam and Zahid, from the hit Netflix series, Atypical.
3: Whenever it's a Zahid Sam day, This set just feels a little lighter.
0: I'll just say it. This is a quirky episode. And that's okay. We need quirky episodes. I'm joined by John O'Brien. And John is the retail lead for the uh, Industry Solutions Consulting Group at IBM. And he brings 40 years experience to this position. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So um, to frame all this, it occurred to me as I was researching uh, for this episode, I don't know if I've ever been inside of a quote-unquote smart store. And there's there's a store that I know that does things really smart in uh, Boulder. It's my favorite bike shop. It's called Full Cycle. And they did a really smart thing by building a bar, like a full-service bar, uh, with TVs and food and drinks, uh, right into the bike shop. And, um, I consider that to be smart retail because I know that I'm far more inclined to buy an $8,000 mountain bike after I've had a few. Uh, but clearly this is not what we're talking about when we're talking about smart retail. How do we define smart retail today?
1: one of the things that's getting a lot of attention when we talk about smart retail today is the use of big data and advanced analytics um, and you know and that moves even into the realm of machine learning and you know artificial intelligence if you will and that's an important trend and it is one that's going to continue gaining momentum and be uh, pervasive probably in the next five years. Uh, there's another element of smart that I think is important to talk about, and it's a little less technological and a little more um, empirical, I would say. And when, what I mean by the empirical is understanding what has happened in the marketplace. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about the Amazon effect, or, or you know, some sort of uh, description, uh, you know, about how. Uh, online pure play e-commerce retailers have disrupted the industry, but it's mm. you know when, when you think about the you know the things that you observe, what what Bezos and Amazon really have done besides deploy some great technology is just make uh, retail easier, cooler, uh, more convenient. Uh, and again, that's sort of the empirical smart that I think is really important for for retailers to understand.
0: And um, the big difference for me between an Amazon and an actual you know brick and mortar, um, uh, well, so many differences, convenience, impulsive buys. Um, uh, I was actually relieved the other day when the the forty dollars uh, copper plated spatula that I ordered couldn't ship because it gave me time to cancel the order. Like, why? You know, that's too many Oreos at 1130 at night, and I just bought one.
1: Understood. Um,
0: but where what Amazon can't do is provide you an exceptional in-person retail experience. And so how are retailers leveraging AI, machine learning, even some of these IoT concepts of, uh, you know, sensing the environment, processing, and then making intelligent decisions um, in, in a very rapid, aggressive feedback loop to benefit people?
1: One of the uh, several holy grails in retail is trying to understand uh, consumers, you know, understand their behavior, right. uh, not only understand their behavior, but anticipate their behavior uh, you know, as they move through you know, life's various cycles. Right? And everybody's realizing that there is a significant amount of data readily available uh, that can help retailers be more relevant to, uh, you know to, to their customers and to communicate with them in a more meaningful way and
0: and what is that data that they're leveraging where is it being captured how is it being captured um, what are these data points that we're so looking at
1: there is everything from data that is hiding in plain sight if you will um, and that is you know mm. customer data and when I talk about customer data we, we what we're referring to there is the uh, The information that you and I give every time we make a purchase or every time we sign up for something right so name and address and phone number there's also data that uh, is is available uh, not always readily but it's available in retail systems um, that shows where you and I have visited on a website or where we've been in a store or another channel how we've used a mobile device uh, the number of pages oh, that we've viewed, the kinds of purchases that we've sure. used, right? There's, you know, again, just standard things like cookies or, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, purchase data, historical purchase data. Um, and, and that kind of information, you know, Dave, is is, it's just not always organized, uh, you know, so that it's easily accessible and there's not always the right kind of, you know, relationship between one set of data and another to really provide insight. So that's one of the areas that people are really tapping into right now is trying to see what the data that they have uh, will reveal about their customers.
0: Sure. And this is is data, by the way, that's obviously existing outside of the store. When I thought smart retail, I'm thinking in-store experience. But there's so much behavioral information that's available to retailers that Aren't even happening inside their facility. Oh,
1: that's that's absolutely correct, and and of course today with digital mobile capabilities, uh, you know, cloud applications, that data can be uh, brought together, analyzed, and rendered in some kind of a dashboard or format where it could be accessible in stores. Uh, the same way it could be accessible to a, a marketer or uh, to somebody who is you know running the uh, the e-commerce site. Um, so more and yep. more retailers yep. are yep. trying to find ways to make that. Portable and available and accessible to, to everybody who touches a customer.
0: Okay, and speaking of those customers, what is the big? What are some of the big benefits to consumers to customers?
1: Well, one of the really big benefits is, uh, you know, I think, and I and I think this is again drives so much of of smart retail uh, is making life. Easier for a customer, and, and I don't just mean the standard cliche of removing friction, because that's that's almost uh, you know table stakes these days. Um, right. But but we are bombarded <laughs> still, you know, with media, with email, with uh, whatever forms of advertisement, you know, uh, you know the digital ads that chase us down every time we go online to you know look at USA Today or Wall Street Journal. Um, and that can be—I uh, don't know—maybe, maybe I'm getting older and crankier, but but I find that very annoying, and I think most consumers find that annoying. That 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 many are still marketing yeah. with the sort of, you know, bombardment method. The more oh, people yeah. know about us, and you—you you, you mentioned, you know, uh, being a serious biker. Assuming you're not just riding it to a Starbucks if you're spending $8,000 on a bike. Um, <laughs> if a retailer uh, recognizes you, Dave, and, and what your interests are, and your propensity to spend, and how often, and uh, lifestyle elements, and they communicate to you, suddenly I think you've got a, uh, you know, maybe not quite a friend, but, but, but you've certainly got, uh, uh, you know, a partner uh, who helps you make decisions, helps you purchase, helps you get information appropriately. And I, I think that's really the big benefit for consumers.
0: No, you're you're exactly right. And uh, I always think about, you know, are we using technology to improve quality of life? And the, the fact of the matter is when we buy something, this is, uh, except for my ridiculous spatula example, a lot of times when we're buying something that would compel us to leave the home, Um, especially now when we can get everything shipped to us, get in the car, drive there. Um, This is an emotional, a very personal purchase that we're making. Um, It doesn't matter how big or small. And this is something that to be guided towards the right thing for me and not just what was placed at the front of the store because Nabisco or whatever company bought that placement on that end cap, right? Um, I can be guided to exactly the thing that I'm interested in. That does... um, that does actually enhance that part, that very important part of my and day. And it's
1: being extended into lifestyle and wellness, uh, health and wellness, if you will. And you think, you know, with, with mm. again, the, the trend, uh, and I don't think it's just trend, I think this is here to stay, more and more people are buying groceries and they're buying health and beauty products, you know, digitally. Um, and, and, you know, the more a retailer, a grocer, a, uh, you know, a food producer knows about you and I and our families and our needs, uh, you know, the, the, the more they can help direct us to healthy diet, right? Or to, to the right medicines or alternative medicines or treatment protocols. And, and I think, um, you know, not only in retail, but, you know, in the health industry, this kind of smart retailing or smart consumer communication is, is going to be a terrific benefit to society.
0: Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about the uh, sort of the the analytics that go into say a, a more fully featured implementation
1: I, I can tell you a couple of things that are being done give you some examples and and again with IBM and there are a lot of companies are getting into the or have been you know involved with the uh, the big data and analytics and and you know AI space but you know our Watson tools and Watson platform have have enabled us to find you know insights with you know with shopping behaviors and correlation of you know again health and product consumptions and those sorts of things um there are a number of things that are sort of in flight in pilot and testing so i don't want to quote them specifically but a couple of things that are available out there that i think are are, are really pretty interesting is uh, we've got you know a tool that's our watson for fashion if you will dave okay and it's Looked at and cataloged uh, tens of thousands of images from product lines online, from uh, fashion shows, runways, and it has helped a number of designers in you know in, in actually creating new designs that are based on you know they're based on algorithms of how people respond to colors and patterns and <laughs> wow. uh, you know how they've responded to sales as well as just interest with page views and those sorts of things. So it's okay. You know it, it's not quite replacing the art but it's 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 like so many other things that's supplementing the you know the the, the core knowledge uh, you know that people have in their industry
0: um, having not just information at their fingertips for uh, information's sake but the right
1: information for that context and understanding how best to use that for people you know for consumers themselves and their families you know and and, and not just for the sort of cool technology part of it but. <laughs>
0: Exactly. This is really helpful. Thank you so much for uh, spending time walking me through some of these ideas, and uh, and for you know finding a quiet spot in the house.
1: <laughs> I don't want to get up now. I'm comfortable here. So.
0: <laughs> I would advise you just you just flew back from Atlanta dodging a hurricane. I would advise just uh, laying low, take a nap.
1: <laughs> we'll, I
0: will. Do. We'll call you in a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds good. Hey, this was fun. I appreciate you having me. And uh...
0: great. Uh, We'll do it again very soon, I'm sure. Thanks, John. Okay,
1: my pleasure, bye.
0: Bye. Earlier this month, Netflix released season two of its original hit television series, Atypical, which has commanded the number one spot on bingeworthy.com since its debut on September 7th. Forbes calls it the best series Netflix has
2: ever made.
3: I made a list of my strengths. That was supposed to help me decide, but it's
2: worthless. Dance moves, good at feeding turtle. Oh, my sweet summer Sam. You really think these are your strengths? You're being too modest. I am? Oh, for show, Dinosaur? For one, you're super focused, especially at work. Remember that time you saw that punk stealing an Xbox in the reflection of my glasses? Yes, and then you tackled him. Mm Mm-hmm. Brains?
0: Bronze. The show examines the life, family, and friendships of a young man with autism. And with every episode, it paints an increasingly nuanced portrait of shared human experience. Full disclosure, I am a consultant on the series. To me, what's interesting about Atypical, and the reason I agreed to consult on season two, is that it's one of the only, if not the only, major series dealing with autism that actually hires the population it portrays, both on and off the screen. The show doesn't simply present an autistic character. It advances our awareness of neurodiversity by word and by deed. The showrunner hired an autistic autism consultant to collaborate with the writers, producers, directors, and cast. And speaking of cast, the show's creator, Robbie Rashid, is committed to casting autistic actors who otherwise may not be given a fair shake whether it's due to neurotypical bias or other factors. The actors on Atypical, who happen to be autistic, are joined on set by a world-renowned acting coach who works specifically with autistic talent through her L.A.-based company, The Miracle Project. The simplest transactional supports, such as communication accommodations, combined with a pervasive spirit of inclusion affords these actors an opportunity to contribute their artistic sensibilities in a sensory-friendly environment that fosters emotional regulation and professionalism, among other things. Numerous studies have proven that diversity in the workplace drives innovation and positive outcomes, extending ultimately to the one thing that all public companies care most about, increased shareholder value. By prioritizing a neurodiverse workplace, in other words, one that actively seeks out autistic contributors and evaluates them with strengths-based assessments, Atypical has created a brilliant example for other shows, organizations, and businesses to follow. In that way, Atypical does exactly what art is supposed to do. It moves us, inspires us, challenges us, and above all, it elevates our social narrative around shared human experiences, including autism. Getting back to smart retail, the main character of this Netflix series is Sam, played by Keir Gilchrist, who has starred in the films It's Kind of a Funny Story and It Follows. Sam works in tech retail, and he has a friend, a best friend, actually. His name is Zahid, played by Nick Dodani, who you'll see on the CBS reboot of Murphy Brown or maybe performing stand-up on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which he does in his spare time. These are extremely talented, wonderful guys, and I've invited them onto the show today to talk about neurodiversity in the workplace. Welcome to the show, guys. Um, Kier, let's start with you. For the people in our audience who haven't seen Atypical yet, can you tell me about your character, Sam? Um,
3: Sam is a young man on the autism spectrum who is in a search for love and independence. And he happens to have a best friend who works at Tectropolis with him, which is a, an electronics store. And that best friend is Zahid, who is neurotypical. And uh, Zahid gives Sam a
2: lot of his life advice. I think that captures it perfectly. <laughs> I'm Zahid, by the way.
0: <laughs> uh, one, one of the things that rings true for me in this show um, is the friendship. Between Sam and Zahid. It's it's massively enjoyable to watch these scenes with you two.
2: Yeah, well, I think when Kira and I are on set together, it becomes this, like, not to say that doesn't exist elsewhere, but especially when he when has Sam Zahid stuff, there's an energy on set that gets pretty dope.
3: Yeah, it's, I, I definitely look forward to the days that it's Sam and Zahid. I think, you know, one, there's a the rapport between them that's just a lot of fun. And part of that too, you know, Nick and I have known each other for a long time. And, and then that is something that Rabia really tries to do is, you know, she, she wants people to f- to feel comfortable and um, family-like, I guess. Whenever it's a Zahid-Sam day, the set just feels a little lighter and sillier. And that's partly just because of our content, too. I mean, for the most part, Zahid and Sam stuff is uh, a little lighter,
0: I think, too, than some of the other family drama. I mean, you, you can give credit to the writers and producers, but I, I do think the positive energy you both bring to the set is really infectious. Um, and, uh, is, is this a conscious effort that you make, Nick, or are you just
2: always like happy? No, I, 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 I <laughs> no, I, I would, I would, uh, in, in all honesty, I, I say mean shit about people all the time. <laughs> um, and wow. Kier can attest to that. And, uh, wow. What an admission. <laughs> Kier, is that true?
0: Does Nick talk smack
2: all the time? Not all, not, okay, not all the time, but definitely (laughs) um, more than I think you've witnessed. I think because we, you know, we've hung out in more professional settings and, you know, I try to be a good, a good person on set and, you know, try to, you know, actors often set the tone of a set. And so it's really important to me when I'm on a set and when I'm in a work environment to be positive. And it's not, not not that I'm saying I'm I'm not being fake. It's just that I, you know, uh, putting on a, putting on um, a positive energy.
0: Yeah. You know, listen, speaking of positive energy and and lifting people up, there's a phrase that sort of floats around the autism lexicon. Um, It's transactional support. And the first time I learned this phrase, it was uh, in a book called Uniquely Human. And these transactional supports are the types of environmental or socio-behavioral accommodations that neurotypical people, you know, people without autism, we'll say, can make that will significantly increase the productivity of the autistic individual, um, significantly increase their chances of success in a world that really favors the neurotypical ways of doing things, right? So um, now there's a moment in episode six in this season where we see a a really lovely example of peer-to-peer transactional support, which um, in common language, I guess, would probably just be called friendship. Um, But uh, Sam is in high school. He's autistic. And his strong desire for, um, we'll say, a preservation of sameness basically prevents him from going and sleeping anywhere except in his own bedroom, uh, which has social consequences, I'm sure. Uh, At the same time, he's trying to learn the life skills that are necessary for going away to college, right? Making his own meals, doing his own laundry, and of course, sleeping somewhere besides the bedroom in his house. And Zahid shows up for him in a profound way, right? Um, he not only invites Sam to practice sleeping over at his house, he goes to pretty thoughtful lengths to create an environment in which Sam will feel comfortable. In other words, he, he, ta- he provides these uh, transactional supports to help his friend, his coworker, and it really doesn't take much. Um, tell me about that.
2: You know, I think Zahid, uh, he knows Sam and he knows, you know, he's he talks to Sam all the time and, you know, he saw that he could help, you know, address one of the things that Sam wants to work on, which is, you know, staying away from home. And
3: As we get into season two, um, Zaheed gets to know Sam better and I think he realizes after spending enough time with him and they've been on all these little adventures that the That Sam needs most when he's going into a new situation is some kind of practice, whether that's Mm -hmm. a practice girlfriend or whatever that might be. That that practice really does make perfect for Sam, and Mm -hmm. it's really the only way he's gonna ever get his head around something like sleeping in an unfamiliar place. Um, So I think it's really insightful of Zahid to suggest that, you know, we'll do it at mine. You know, if it goes horribly, then it's a safe place. And, you know, he even had his parents. Call my parents, and they create this very safe place for him to test out something that, for a lot of people, isn't a big issue, but for Sam, is a pretty insurmountable thing to accomplish.
0: Right, and um, you know, it's it's basically growth mindset. You know, uh, creating a safe uh, safe space for someone to to practice something, not expecting it'll go perfectly the first time. And I think this is something that uh, organizations, especially in technology, where people are kind of responsible for. Innovation um, and uh, and and sort of new approaches to to product designs and solutions to problems. Uh, you have to be able to explore ideas uh, in a safe space. Um, and, and getting back to Sam specifically, you know, one of the things that autistic people often struggle with is changes in routine. And now that's something that always gets pinned on the autism profile, but it's not just an autism thing, right? We we all love our routines. And that's why I think it's important to understand that human beings are a neurodiverse species, right? Um, and that we can describe autism as a shared human experience. You know we all have these experiences. We all have our quirks. We all have our thresholds for excitement. Autistic or not?
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, it's on top of it, even if you just want to talk about, you know, part of what keeps me in line is getting proper sleep, eating properly. Um, having a schedule that is consistent and all of that goes out the window working on a TV show. So, you know, everything gets thrown out out the window. I mean, Mm -hmm. I might start the season feeling great on a really good schedule, which is, again, what I need to help, you know, keep my depression and anxiety under wraps. Mm -hmm. And there's just really no way to do that when you're working the kind of hours that we have to work and the inconsistent hours that we work and eating at random, you know, here's lunch, it's... Midnight. And so, uh, it, even just physically speaking, my body, it takes a toll. And it, I, yeah. I definitely need to shake off a lot when I finish. I get that when I go
0: to nature and um, very much centers me. Yeah. You know, something else happens in that same episode. And it's something that we read about in the news and, and it's just horrifying for everyone involved. Uh, Sam gets confronted by a police officer while he's in the midst of what some people would call an autistic meltdown. um, We can think of this state of mind almost as being in such a severe panic or such emotional agitation that the individual isn't cognitively functioning where they typically would. Uh, Extreme fight or flight, so to speak. Uh, The police officer mistakes this unintentional state of agitation for willful noncompliance. And he has no choice to make as, as a first responder in how to handle the situation. And this happens, like I said, in life all the time. Uh, it's really terrifying. And it happens more often than I think we realize. What strikes me in this scene is how authentically you react as Sam uh, to this police officer who's becoming more aggressive and, and he's barking at you to, to get on the ground. You portray this experience brilliantly. So as an actor, how do you even begin to, like, prepare for something like that?
3: I'm, I, I mean, I think there's a—I a, can switch into Sam at this point. It's been—you know, by that point I've done what, uh, fift, 15 episodes, whatever, um, of playing Sam. And uh, I think, you know, it was sort of just obvious, well, if Sam was in this situation, how would he react? I mean, going to school is hard enough, but I mean, I think— anybody's it's terrifying having a a uniformed police officer screaming at you and (laughs) shining a flashlight in your eyes I've had it happen before right and uh, Been terrified so to imagine Sam. It wasn't a huge stretch It was just you know There's so many things about this that would be so much more alarming and terrifying to to Sam that um, I Think it just came together, but I also very much enjoyed having you there that night and
0: you did make some really good suggestions Dave Yeah, man, I I loved being there, you know. But I think it's an important moment in the show and something that really draws attention to the fact that our first responders would really benefit from, say, autism awareness training, the same way that corporations insist on multicultural sensitivity training and things like that.
3: I I got so excited when I, I mean, at the time, and when reading the script, it wasn't super clear how far we were going to go with the arrest and whether... Um, Sam was actually going to get thrown down on the ground or, uh, I, I, think that kind of all formed itself as we were doing it. Um, but I was really excited to, uh, to see that included. And cause it's something that, uh, Nick and I, I think I can say also both have talked about in the past yeah. and that, um, is a huge concern. And even, even beyond autism, I've read so many articles about how under trained the police are for dealing with, right. um, a whole variety of, uh, different types of people, I'm, mean, you know, you hear about people with schizophrenia being killed by the police even sometimes, mm. because to them, they're not seeing a group of police officers trying to arrest them, they, they see a mob of people in uniform attacking them. I, there was one article about a guy in Skid Row, I think a couple of years ago, who was murdered by the police, um, because he just didn't know what was going on, and he refused to submit to them, and... Um, you know, I remember there was a discussion then about how do we get better training so that this doesn't keep happening. Right. Um, so personally, when I saw that storyline, I got really excited. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, we just need the right um, initiatives. Uh, you know who's uh, you know who's doing the heavy lifting with real initiatives is tech employers. So, companies like Microsoft and SAP and Cable Labs here in Boulder have specific initiatives to attract, hire, and retain individuals with autism, um, specifically for the superior contributions that autistic employees can make to any organization that's seeking innovation, excellence in process execution, or simply that enthusiastic energy that you described earlier. Tell me what it's like to work on
2: a set that prioritizes neurodiversity. Um, yeah, Kier, go for it, and I'll, I'll answer.
3: Yeah, so this season I got to work with a uh, whole bunch of new faces uh, who happen to be actors that are on the ac- autism spectrum. Um, nice. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I actually really prefer working with them. No <laughs> offense, Nick. Um, <laughs> not but uh, I mean, they're all, I mean, first of all, The actors that we have this season, most of them, it's one of their favorite shows, um, and they're so they're over the moon to be there, uh, which is not true of necessarily other actors that work on the show. And then also they're just, um, I one of my biggest pet peeves is people not really knowing their lines or what's going on or where we are in the story, Mm. and that's just never even been remotely something I've worried about working with any of them. Um, Nice. (laughs) I mean, everybody knows exactly what they're doing. Um, (laughs) You know, they've rehearsed, they know their lines. Um, They're ready to come and work really hard. Um, So I would say, you know, there's always days on set that you look forward to in a week. And so this week, or this season, whenever I got a day with the peer group, I was just over the moon to get to work because I knew everyone was going to come and be super focused and give me all the attention possible. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say it's, again, much like when I work with Nick, it's, those are some of the things I really look forward to during
0: the week, are those, uh those days. Man, that's great. And you know, it's not surprising to me at all that you're noticing this work ethic and, and I love that it's even contributing positively to the scenes, like making your job as an actor um, you know, easier, making it more fun. You know, I was speaking with Jenna Boyd who plays Paige on the show and she clearly described you as being a very like giving actor was the word she used. And uh, what she meant by this was that uh, when she's got a scene with you, you show up fully for the entire ensemble, who's in that scene with you, right? And, and it makes her job um, playing off of you so much more enjoyable. Uh, it makes the scene so much more affecting because she can rely on you to give the scene or the moment or your fellow actors, you know, whatever is needed, so that she can play off of that emotionally. And what you're describing in your experience working with these autistic actors is is the same sort of confidence, right, that comes from. Say trusting your partner to give to the scene. In other words, uh, these actors are fully present in the scene with you.
3: I I would agree with that. Yeah, and and again, I think it's interesting. You know, the first season uh, we had less actors on the spectrum. We had a couple, and and I remember that. Um, you know, there was and it comes from a very good place. Everyone like people on set wanted to make sure this was a safe, you know, calm. Uh, conducive place for someone on the spectrum to work and you know I think people were almost going a little too hard trying to make you know these accommodations <laughs> and I remember one of the first days after um, uh, Anthony who plays Christopher worked I was like mm-hmm. you guys have nothing to worry about Anthony is loving every second of this he's taking in everything he wants to know everything <laughs> th- thing that's going on and um, yeah. yeah I'd almost say there's if anything I think a, there's this confidence that, yeah, I, I think is really kind of refreshing when working with other actors.
0: I love it, guys. This has been such a treat for me. This is so awesome. Uh, oh, shoot, uh, hang on. I have to give a, uh, I have to give a formal sign off. Um, let's see how how about this here. Uh, oh, here I'll use my radio voice. Um, Nick and Keir thank you for joining me on this <laughs> very special episode of EE e. Times on air. Thanks ra- for having us. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, but anyway, back to real life. Um, love you both very much. <laughs> thank you for, um, for being so patient while I was having my car towed to the interview and for doing such wonderful and important work on Atypical. Um, it's amazing. And a lot of people would, if they could join me on the phone right now, a lot of people uh, would
2: would uh, join me in saying thank you. Um, millions of people. That's, well, really sweet. We love We love you, Dave. I know, you, we thank you for everything you did on the show. I get I get uncomfortable and emotional statements <laughs> and now I'm getting awkward, but thank you. We love you too. All right, later guys.
0: This program is produced by Aspencore Studio for the Aspencore Radio Service. Thanks for listening.